welcome to the Social Minute, podcast that looks at the social network minute by minute. Today we're going to be covering minute number 94, which goes from an hour 33 to an hour 33.59. We start off with Mark telling Eduardo that he set up the Thiel meeting. Uh, we get a lot of build-up to this Thiel meeting, and I tell you, it's disappointing once you actually get there. Um, Eduardo is talking about what you mean being left behind, um, and of course, you know, Mark is like, you know, basically he wants him to come out. Um, you know, it's like that—that's what he wants. You know, he's—he <laughs> like wants him to be there. Um, but we finish the scene with him saying, "What you mean, left behind?" And then you know, Mark kind of looks guilty, and then we <laughs> cut, and we get you know a dramatic, probably one of my favorite kind of like dramatic scenes in the film, which is Eduardo Going freezes a bank. a bank account. Yeah, <laughs> and it is scored to the song um, uh, "Almost Home," mm. um, which is it's a wonderful track because it kind of has this it has this really kind of dark foreboding to it, and it's like he's just closing the back again. Yeah, um, and that happens at the same time where Mark and Sean are waiting in a <laughs> in a skyscraper, and they are you know a, a, an assistant comes by and says um, he'll be he'll be right with you. Um, uh, she, no, she says Sean he'll be right with you so yeah. she actually addresses him directly huh. um, and then uh, an office op- office door opens up and out comes Peter Thiel and his assistant Maurice um, and they say have you, have you been offered some waters and Sean's like we're cool and then they come in and Maurice says you must be Mark and that's where the minute finishes and joining me to talk about today is Eric Harza hello Eric hello Darren this is where we we kind of we get a, one final little kind of mention of the Thiel meeting, um, you know, uh, Mark saying he set up the Thiel meeting, he set up meetings all over town, and of course Edward is like he set up other meetings, <laughs> and he's like without me knowing anything about it, and he's like you're in New York, and he's like yeah I'm in New York riding subways fourteen hours a day trying to find advertisers, um, and of course we get Mark sarcastic and how's that going so far, which is <laughs> like that hurts. yeah. So Eduardo has a psychotic girlfriend. He's riding around in subways for fourteen hours a day, and he was recently on the you know waiting for an hour at an, an airport to be picked up by Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's and for this entire scene, it's worth saying he's been soaking wet for the last like five minutes. Yeah. So not a comfortable position. I can only assume, uh, especially given the multiple takes that David Fincher does and between takes, they've probably had to be like you know. Um, <laughs> kind of spring um, uh, Andrew Garfield with water between takes to right. keep him like a certain level of damp. Um, and yeah, so like, I, I, again, like Eduardo is trying to do something that, you know, has worked for other internet companies, uh, which is just getting advertisers. Um, mm. Although, you know, riding the subways again, uh, it's like, I don't know if it feel it feels like I mean you know it's fun to ride the New York subway I've done it myself <laughs> um, so it's not it's not like it's not that bad mm-hmm. like I know I know there are people who live in New York and kind of hate the subway but you know the times I've been there as a tourist I'm like this is fun just riding the subway <laughs> in New York um, but you know the fact that he's spending fourteen hour days just trying to find advertisers uh, whilst avoiding his psychotic girlfriend uh, yeah like the scene is being painted of Eduardo's like you know, unhappy time in New York. Right. And that is contrasting with Mark, who's, you know, uh, got a house full of, you know, ladies who are getting high and Sean, who's wandering around talking about Mitchell Manningham and how much he hates him. Right. Um, so it's obviously just there to kind of put a, a kind of a button on the scene and kind of show the contrast, um, you know, and also the kind of like, how how's it been going so far? Is, <laughs> mm-hmm. is like a kind of, again, for like the third time in as many minutes, Eduardo gets burnt. Um and I think as well, Eduardo kind of going back to the, you know, what do you mean get left behind? 
it feels like obviously he's seeing that as a threat from Mark. Right. Uh, like you said, it's it sounds a bit threatening, and obviously I don't think Mark means it in a threatening way. I think he just means we're all in New York. Uh, sorry, we're all in LA, and you're in New York, and everything's happening in LA. Like mm-hmm. we've got tons of programmers. You know, we've got servers that we need. We've got all these members. Like everything's in LA. Right. So we need you to be here if you're gonna do if you're gonna do this. You need to be here. But then again. You know, advertisers all have their offices in New York, so mm-hmm. you're not going to find any advertisers out in LA. So, uh, like, it's it's kind of it's kind of funny that like you know, uh, Mark is like, I think don't get left behind is like an innocent statement, but Eduardo is kind of reading something into it, right? And of course, by finishing the scene with this look between Eduardo and Mark, it suggests that Eduardo has gone to Bank of America to close the accounts down in retaliation, right? For sick burn, you know. Um, it's a big move like up, I think it's almost the only thing he can do at this point to kind of reassert control or reassert some kind of uh, uh, I don't know just dominance in this relationship is like get his attention the only way you can is by cutting off the money that he has it's kind of, it's kind of like you know like what can he do like yeah. you know he's 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 been trying to get advertisers he's been trying to make it clear that he's the financial part of the company and, you know, he's a financial part because he's put 19000 into the company and nobody else has put a penny in. Mm-hmm. So the only way he can make that kind of that point is by, you know, walking in and kind of saying, close down the account. Mm-hmm. Um, or should I say freeze the account? Right. Freeze this bank account and cancel all existing checks and lines of credit. Um, and, of course, the banker says, may I see some ID, please? And, of course, he's like, sure. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, and that's that's it. I mean, it's <laughs> that's like a, a very kind of like... Um, you know, uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of funny that it's like very foreboding that he does that, right? Um, you know, uh, and I I like as well. I mean, I just really like the shot. Like, um, you know, Andrew Garfield walking into the bank. He's in the center of frame. Mm-hmm. You know, he's looking directly at us um, before we get to see the bank teller. You know, like the the kind of uh, he's the only thing in focus. Like the edges of the frame are out of focus. You don't see. You can't tell what the layout of the bank is. You can only see Eduardo Savarin standing right in the middle of the frame, looking at us. Um, and you know, again, you know, obviously uh, David Fincher is, is such a kind of a master of kind of composing shots. It's just such mm-hmm. a wonderful kind of like. As he, wa- I remember watching this in the cinema, and as he walked up, I'm like, "What is he going to do? What's that? Yeah, like, it, like there's a certain foreboding of like, what's going to happen here? Is he going to like rob the bank? What's it like? <laughs> you know, Mark said they need more money. What's going to happen? And of course, he just like freezes the line of credit. Yeah. not as dramatic as you would expect, but you know. Um, so I kind of like that. Uh, I mean, there's not really much to say about it because aside from the you know the wonderful shot composition, it also it makes a nice contrast from we've had this kind of you know dark kind of um, you know bungalow in Palo Alto where they've been in this kind of dark corridor having a conversation, and then you immediately cut to this really bright bank. All oh, right, um, and it's you know it's a nice little kind of contrast between where we've previously been and just like you know the outside world, which is a you know is completely different to you know this house in Palo Alto, which. Um, you know, it looks like they've kind of color corrected it a little bit to kind of push the orange because mm. the Palo Alto house looks a little bit kind of sepia-ish. Um, right. And then that kind of contrasts nicely with the, the very kind of, you get this shot, which is just so sharp and kind of bright and just completely different from where we've been for the last like three minutes. Yeah. Uh, it's... And also Eduardo is is finally dry. No, right. Um, it's it's a way. it's a stark contrast from how he was before. Powerless kind of reeling around looking for any kind of like sign of where he is at the company and then just clear day him establishing control yeah it's really well played and then we cut to the start of what will be you know the next kind of um you know 45 seconds of the movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) finally we get the peter Thiel meeting 
the assistant comes out and says, you know, uh, he'll be right with you. She addresses Sean, of course. Yeah. Um, and not Mark, because obviously she doesn't know where Mark is. Uh, in the script, it's put as, you know, this is this is Teal's outer office. It's worth saying we get an external establishing shot of the, the skyscraper, um, you know, before we go inside. Uh, which Aaron Sorkin just calls 80 stories of polished granite. Right. That's <laughs> that's his only kind of thing. Uh, he says, we're in the offices of a guy whose hero is Gordon Gecko. Uh, Mark and Sean are waited, seated side by side for a verdict. Sean's wearing his best Prada <laughs> and Mark's wearing his hoodie and Adidas flip-flops. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so obviously the Prada thing in the script, obviously, you know, as a viewer, you don't see the script. So, but that will be called out later on in the in the in the film. And again, the uh, the hoodie and the flip-flops again will be called out later on in the film as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, after the assistant checks on them, um, Sean says, "You know, this is where they filmed Towering Inferno." Um, to which <laughs> Mark just goes. That's comforting. Um, and that's a lie. Yeah. That's a straight up oh, lie. Oh, really? Oh, damn. Yeah. Ta- Towering Inferno was shot inside studios. Uh-huh. The entire film was done inside studios. Shit. That was one of the things that made Towering Inferno uh, such a kind of landmark film was the fact that it took two studios to make it because both studios were developing films about skyscrapers that were on fire. Right. And one of the producers who kind of knew one of the other producers from the other studio was like, do you know what? Instead of us making competing films about skyscrapers that are on fire, why don't we just make one one film and put the two scripts together? And this ended up being like it was like a landmark. It was Uh a it was a joint it was a joint um, film that was produced by 20th Century Fox and Warner Brothers. Um, and it was one of the first kind of joint ventures by two Hollywood studios. Um, uh, there were two books which it was a de- which was it was adapted from, which was called *The Tower* by Richard Martin Stern and *The Glass Inferno* mm-hmm. uh, by Thomas N. Scorcher and Frank M. Robinson. Um, it was the highest-grossing film of 1974. Um, it was nominated for eight Oscars, and obviously, it's well known for the fact that um, the billing was a fight. Uh, mm. Steve McQueen and Paul Newman, each of whom were on different films, <laughs> and then it, they were brought together in this ensemble. Wow! Um, they had a fight over like a lot of things on this film, um, and William Holden was also in there, and he wanted top billing. Right. And <laughs> you know, uh, Holden was basically told, "No, you're not going to get top billing because uh, Steve McQueen and and uh, Newman are both bigger than you now." Um, and, and so they did um, staggered but equal billing. So they're both billed at, at the top, um, but on the posters, um, you know, uh, McQueen's name, I think, is just slightly higher. So when you're reading across, you read Paul Newman first, but you read Steve above that of Steve wow. McQueen. In the opening title sequence, uh, the names come up diagonally. <laughs> and so um, McQueen's name is second. Newman's name is first, fully visible as the credits roll. Wow. It's it's kind of it's kind of crazy. There was a whole bunch of fights over that. There was a bunch of fights over how many lines they got. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a few times where Steve McQueen would, at the end of a scene or the end of a, 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 a like a, a line, would just kind of say a couple of extra words to make sure he had the last <laughs> word in the scene. Um, it was it was kind of. They're, they're kind of on. It was, it was it was only matched by all the president's men where um, uh, Dustin Hoffman went through the script and counted the words to make sure both their characters said the exact same number of words during the entire of the film. Wow. Um, 
which is kind of crazy, yeah. But it was shot all inside a studio. There, <laughs> there was no skyscraper that was set on fire by. A, well, there was a there was a skyscraper that was set on fire, but it was mm. a um, it was a it, it was it was a model that was set on fire. It was it, was, it wasn't uh, you know, and the sets that were built were some of the biggest sets that had been um that had been made at the time because they had to they had to kind of some of them had to be like three or four stories high in terms of like being able to kind of like so people could kind of go up those staircases and all kinds of things like that so the the whole thing was built on gigantic sets um you know at the time its budget was one of the highest ever it was 14 million Mm -hmm. um it made 139 million back so it made 10 times its budget so it was well worth it uh the rights for the tower uh went for four hundred thousand. Um, and they were they were Warner Brothers outbid Fox for those rights, and then Fox outbid um, for the other book uh, three hundred thousand. <laughs> so they spent they spent a combined combined total of seven hundred thousand just to get the rights to the two books before they actually kind of <laughs> before they ended up making the films. Mm. Um, and so uh, you know Fox got all of the U.S. money while Warner Brothers got all the foreign money. Um, and uh, it, it, it ended up, like I said, it was the highest grossing film of 1974. Um, and, uh, you know, although worldwide, I think it made 139 million. I think in the US, that was about half of that was just in the US. So in the mm-hmm. end, both studios ended up making out, um, you know, enough money. Um, but yeah, it was kind of crazy because apparently Irwin Allen, um, who obviously had done a lot of TV shows, um, about specific kind of I don't know I always find Owen Allen shows to be kind of really weird because they only ever ran for like a couple of seasons each but people kind of remember them uh, but they're always very high concept um, he apparently realised that there were two building like two films about fiery buildings being made right. at the same time and, and he was the one who kind of came on board and said don't don't try and like make these two different things just right. let's just make one um, and that was never know. a solution that they used ever again. Uh. No, it wasn't. That's the weird thing, you know. Like, um, like it, it's it's really weird because obviously, you know, Erwin um, Allen realized that if they just made one film, everyone would go see it. But if right. they made two, then there was a risk of the audiences being split. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of the next, the next kind of big time that this happened was Volcano and Dante's Peak, which you know. I think right. uh, Volcano had more more money, but Dante's Peak was more critically acclaimed. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of weird. But no, this was not the building that, uh, <laughs> that they did that film in. Um, and it's it's funny as well because like the cast is insane for the Tower Inferno. Um, you know, you have uh, in addition to Paul Newman and Steve McQueen, and obviously William Holder, you know, being um, you know the, the like the the third build. You've got Faye Dunaway, uh, Fred Astaire, Richard Chamberlain. Uh, O.J. Simpson, uh, <laughs> Robert Vaughan, Robert Wagner, um, you know, uh, Felton Perry, who would also be known as the police chief in Robocop and Robocop 2. Wow. Uh, Dabney Coleman, um, you know, like then you get further down the list and there's, a, you know, there's a, a few less of known people but who were probably more well known in the 70s. But yeah, it's, it's kind of insane the, the kind of cast they got. Um, and I loved as well how the billing was Paul Newman, the architect. Uh- Steve McQueen, the fire chief. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like as, as if those two professions were in any way kind of like competing against each other. It was kind right. of weird. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a, there was a, like the kind of and what's weird is like the the two original films, although like one was more about um, like the world's tallest skyscraper and like the dangers of that, like kind of toppling over or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the other one was more about, you know, a skyscraper kind of setting fire. Um, and then obviously they took kind of elements of that. So like in the film, 
um, the Towering Inferno, uh, you know, obviously it ends up, you know, being on fire. But one of the concerns before it sets on fire is the stability of it as a skyscraper anyway. Right. So those are, you know, those are kind of like two of the concerns, um, which is kind of insane to me because I can't remember. I saw a film recently where they had like, like a shot of the New York skyline mm-hmm. and they had cranes that were like at the top floor of some like you know something's being built and there's a crane at the top of like a skyscraper and i'm like that's insane because not only you've got to get to the top of the skyscraper but you've then got to climb up the steps to get into the cab of the crane that's on top of the sky i was like i don't know who's doing that but those people are insane that's like i could never i can i can you know barely go above like the fourth floor of most buildings anyway because i hate heights Mm -hmm. but i just could not imagine being like a crane operator on top of skyscrapers as they get built that's insane yeah i I just Um, can't even yeah so of course uh you know uh, this then later inspired of course you know the uh, the recent film that the rock star did called skyscraper which is about the world's tallest skyscraper setting on fire so um i feel like that film would have been more of a success if you'd have had like you know uh, like more people other than the rock in it yeah (laughs) it it is entirely being shouldered by a rock yeah, if they'd have had like you know another twenty like glittering stars of Hollywood and you know and kind of paid everybody to you know have fights over who gets top build, mm. I feel like that film could have done really well. But as it is, it feels like it's a kind of weak, um, you know, kind of Tarrant Inferno ripoff. Right. Um, and I should say as well, um, you know, I don't want to be that guy, but uh, you know, Sean Parker says this is where they filmed Tarrant Inferno. One, that's a lie. But two, it's the Tarrant Inferno. Sean, please <laughs> come on. I mean, I know that you like to drop the the, but right, <laughs> you know, let's refer to it by its full title. Maybe that's just his um, personal rule. He just does that for everything. There is no yeah, the I, that's in anything it. he says. He never uses definite articles throughout this entire film. He never says the word the. Um, <laughs> so that's not true, obviously. But that would have been a great thing if they'd have managed to do that in the script. Just never have Sean Parker say the word the. Would you like to um, go to movies? Apart- <laughs> yes. Aside, aside from when he says drop the the, other than that, he never says the word the in the in yes. the entire film. Right. He's asked what his favorite '80s punk band is, and he goes, the, the. "I would love to say their name, but unfortunately, I can't." Right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, is there anything else that needs to be discussed about this minute? Oh, I'm not really. Sean Parker's a liar. He's full of shit. But uh, I yeah, more than clear, hey, so. we already. We already knew that, didn't we? Um, yeah. So, well, then I will go to the Thursday question, which is, what is your favorite social network? Um, though I will say, you know, <laughs> which social network do you tolerate the most is probably more accurate. Um, I have a joke answer, and my, my real answer is none. I have no favorite social network. My favorite social network is obviously Jeremy Renner's uh, fan social network, where uh, supposedly people just sign up to talk about him, and he posts pictures of himself. And uh, there's a bunch of, I guess, thirsty women and uh, thirsty men as well, sure. Um, that, that place looks hilarious. You can buy stars to like him for $50. It just looks like it's insane. So, yeah, that. That's, you know what? That sounds more sensible than the, the app Yo. Uh, <laughs> yo. Which allowed you. You could just yeah, say Yo. Which allowed you. Yeah, that's it. You could only right, say Yo. Right. It was a messaging app that you could only say yeah on. So uh, that sounds more sensible than that, at least. <laughs> uh, although I'd love it if the only thing you could say on the Jeremy Renner app Ooh. was Jeremy Renner. Oh man, they should partner yeah. up. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's too late now because I don't think I don't think the servers for Yo work anymore. Oh damn. Um, but yeah, I know they a missed opportunity. I feel. Is there a bro? Uh, well, then... is there a bro social? <laughs> Where you just say uh, there bro? was there was some yeah there were some other ones that kind of spun off from Yo, okay. but I don't know that there was ever a bro. So oh, that feels man. like that's an opportunity. If you can convince Peter Teal to give <laughs> some cash, then you can make that happen. Uh, so then let's go to plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug? 
Um, you can follow me on Twitter at T-Z-A-R-R-E-V-A-N. And you can find us on MySpace at MySpace.com slash The Social Minute, or on Twitter at Social underscore Minute, or on Facebook at The Social Minute Podcast, or on the Jeremy Renner app as The Social Minute. <laughs> Thanks once more for being my guest here today, Eric. Oh, I love it, Darren. And I'll see you tomorrow.